You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Boy, howdy, that was annoying. Welcome to the 3DMs Podcast. My name is Jake. I'm Paul. And we just found out that somebody who was sitting in our studio before did something not so smart and muted all the mics. So our 20 minutes of banter uh, that we had previously are gone. But guess what? We're going to do it all again. We hope everybody had a wonderful and beautiful Valentine's Day. And we're going we're gonna to bring this show back and we're going to do it again. So let's get moving. We're talking uh, about the remaining uh, classes, the spellcasters. You saw this coming. Yep. If you didn't, I'd be surprised. All right. So we got Bard left. We got Sorcerer left. We got Wizard left. We're going to dive right into Bard. Uh, first things first, let's get some sexy facts out of the way about Bard. So Bard started in first edition as a multi-class, quote-unquote, option, where you'd have to take multiple levels of fighter, rogue, and wizard in different proportions, or fighter, thief, and mage, I should say. Fighting man. Fighting man. In order to even enter Bard at all. As a result, it was something that wasn't done very commonly. In 2nd edition, it kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And in 3rd edition, it came back as the poster boy for the half-casters and as the actually balanced classes in 3rd edition. <laughs> as well as a support class in 4th edition. But here in 5th edition, it's finally joined the ranks of the full casters. And it's arguably one of the more powerful classes in the game. I consider it Tier 2. Jake considers it Tier 1. Yes. We're not going to get into a super deep debate on that one. Yeah, we ain't got to fight about it, but we're going to talk about it. So um, first things first, and we already did this. I'm going to try to get our original thing, our original copy out there because it was a lot better. Sorry, guys. There was a recording mishap on this episode, and we're pressed for time, so we're going to be blowing through Bard a little bit here. But – uh, Paul and I both strongly and firmly agree that uh, the meme culture has created a very negative view of Bard as just somebody whose sole existence is a very one-dimensional, I am here. To I be, roll to seduce. I, I roll to seduce. I am a Lothario. My whole class summed up is the person who tries to fuck everything that moves. And I think this is dumb uh, at, at best, uh, it's a horrendous waste of a good class for a uh, meme value among people who haven't played the class or treated as a one-dimensional joke. And Well, I mean, I get it because bards have done some ridiculous thing. Hell, even in my game, I had a bard roll a 35 on a persuasion check on a – uh, on a goddess, a minor goddess, gr- granted, but still a goddess that he had been working on for a couple of months. Yeah, this happened, and uh, there's a reason now that my Raven Queen is a baby. No comment. No comment, but hey, when you roll a 35 on a persuasion, sometimes you just have to go, all right, yeah, all right, yeah. That being said, leaning into the meme too hard can definitely, uh, I think, takes away from the class. I think it is a class that has a lot of merit and a lot of great stuff going on, and those are things that we need to be focusing on about the class. And so... Let's hop into Bard. So when we're talking about session zero stuff, which is what we're doing today, is what do you do when you discuss? Uh, but first, we have first. We got a couple of tasty facts to get out of the way, right, Paul, well, first. Uh, tasty fact numero uno. Uh, according to the 538 survey of one month of character creation data from D&D Beyond, uh, Bard is 10 on the list out of 12 of most popular class. Behind – well, ahead of Druid and who else? Uh, it is ahead of Sorcerer, spoilers, and the Druid, Poor which druid. is apparently the least f- popular class in the game, at least according to this one month of data. 
and it's road. you know on one website and you know a little hard to extrapolate from but you know you got to you got to move with what you got um most popular variants of bard that are played according to races selected to play them are half elf followed by human followed by tiefling followed by halfling followed by elves just straight up elves. So that sounds like every race with a charisma bonus and then every race with a dexterity bonus. Now, as – Also human. As a brief aside though on that, you know what really speaks to me uh, about the information that I've just gleaned from looking at this site? This is just kind of a side thing. All right. Shoot. I, I find it really interesting that half, half elves are almost universally more played than elves. Um no, just as like a. It's because half elves are really good. They are really good, but more as a storytelling kind of device. It more just speaks that yeah, elven parents sucked, but when they go out and they uh, they find themselves a nice other race wife, they can make a they can make a kid who can, is really capable of something. Um, it 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 just it just strikes me as hilarious that half elf gets uh or has to be fluffed in so much. But moving on, so. Bard stuff. We were already, we were having, we had a great thing going. We're going to try to pick it back up. So the thing about bards, uh, we are not talking about your standard, normal singer songwriter person hanging out at the bar, getting paid just to be tonight's entertainment. Uh, the person who's spreading the news, uh, bringing in rumors and gossip from other towns, not the town crier, not the singer songwriter, not the night's entertainment. These people are capital B bards. And they know things and they can do things. They're really talented and they're so talented they're performing arts that they can do magic. Or their magic is spontaneous and they weave it in the form of artistic talents. Yes. Um, it's it's one of the uh, two uh, – what's the word? Uh, spontaneous arcane spellcasters, the other of which Sorcerer will also be talking about tonight. Uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. Yes. So with the bard, uh, you know, this is obviously we're talking session zero. We're talking how to make the world be better suited to them and so players can know what are going on. And the first thing I want to talk about with bards and the first thing that really sticks out is that, A, true bards are incredibly rare. Well. Or they are supposed to be. It depends on the slider in your game. Either there's, you know, if it's high magic, then, yeah, there's going to be magical bards everywhere up and down the street. On the low end, there's going to be – you know, one or two of these maybe walking your setting. You're right that the player's handbook says that they are not common and only rarely are they found in one specific place. Yes, they are world travelers. They but are. I would not say they are incredibly rare so much as you see maybe one in a thousand or so. Mm, I'd still call that. Uh, now we're getting to semantics. semantics. So <laughs> uh, with the actual bards, uh, with with them real real bards, the first thing you need to ask your player and the first thing you want to look at as a session zero um, would probably be a training question, as in who taught them? Why did they want to be a bard? Is, is it a one-on-one apprenticeship? Did they teach themselves? Like they, did they play Wonderwall in their basement so much that they learned to set people on fire? Um, uh, do, do they have the implication that the different subclasses of bard is, is there a college that you go to in order to learn – uh, bardic magic, and do they send you into a cave to fight Draugr to find a scroll instead of just teaching you how to play guitar? <laughs> was that a was that a that was hot, a Skyrim reference? Yeah. I, I know that was a hot take on Skyrim. I just wanted to hear it from you. Um, I just want <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say it. Yeah, but, the Bard's College sends you to go stab some Draugr in a cave. Yeah, anyway. no, that's it's yeah, that's one of their more questionable decisions. <laughs> anyway, anyways, so um. Although that is one thing we definitely do agree on that a college of bards seems a little strange, but if that's what floats yeah, in your if side, they're not, if they're not that common, then what kind of place of learning have they set up to actually teach us? Because as far as I can tell, wizards, at least in the base setting, are anyone with the with serious intelligence and memory can learn to become a wizard. If you study for thirty years and absolve all the pleasures of the flesh, you can learn to cast magic. But why would you do that when you can just play guitar and cast magic that way. So so there's the, – I, I feel the college is more of an abstract thing than a physical thing. Um, you know, it really depends. I mean obviously there's real-world uh, musical colleges and artistic colleges that – and it would make sense that those places exist. But I definitely don't think that there is – again, it depends on your setting for me personally and I also believe you feel this way that a college set up specifically to training 
magical ass bards isn't a thing. Spontaneous guests. It seems more likely to me that most bards would be trained by a mentor figure. And obviously somebody's going to go in the comments and tell us that we're wrong. And I fully support that because it's entirely up to your creation. But our opinion. But of I the bard. feel like a journeyman and like an apprentice and master Sith setup except with magical musicians is more likely. So to keep this boiled down to the those initial simple points. So part one. You know, ask your player, hey, who taught you? Do you know who this person is? Do you want me to generate this person for you? Who was your initial teacher as a bard? What's your connection to them? Do you still see them? Yeah, do, you do you busk with them with the magical hobo act? You know, there's there's a lot of great questions that can come out of that. So the next thing for you to try to uh, impress upon your player for some thinking you as the DM – uh, for you as the DM to do some thinking on and you to impress upon the player is what is a actual big B bard? Uh, what? How are they viewed in the world? Because your standard bard is, again, just your performer, your town crier, your you know person who has a position. That, Can't feed a family of four. <laughs> wow. Harsh take. <laughs> they, are a, they are a person who has a position of vocal influence and I mean that very literally where yeah. they are shouting things at people and people have to listen to them. Um, where the big B bard, as we have already discussed about the spell list of the bard, uh, is pack full of – Mental manipulation. Yeah. Charm magics. Um, Disguise you know, magics. Distant, like even first level enchantment. you've got – Enchantments, illusions. You've got different uh, – Ways to attack the mind. All of these things are things that would make people side-eye you as you walk down the street if they'd heard about one of them. Like, hey, I heard this person can make you think they're your, they're your best friend just by looking at you. Yeah. Wouldn't that scare you a little? It scares me a little. The – but the the idea here is though is – and I don't want to lean back into the meme that we just rallied against. But simultaneously – Bard is definitely one of those classes that uh, it, it can slot into any party. As Paul mentioned earlier, I think it's high tier one because it can – it has a very robust ro- yeah, robust spell list, has the ability to make itself a even more robust spell list by cherry picking from whatever class they want. They don't wilt in combat when they get hit and – they, they don't start sucking on their thumb the second an orc with an axe comes running out. Yeah, the like second the they get does. within uh, melee range. And ultimately, they are a charisma-fueled class and they have the jack-of-all-trades ability. And, and if you're leaving aside the fact that their select skill list is any three, which is already pretty powerful. Just Yeah. And any three. You take college lore with half-elf, that you, you get ten skills. Congratulations. <laughs> you have ten skills. They can dominate either any skill-based encounter or any social encounter. Bards are a terrifying class. Um, and that paying into your world is something that authorities, local government, and even some people who might have had some run-ins with some bad bards who are good at what they do. Um, you know, there is definitely – High consideration to be made for how everybody around them would feel. Maybe some towns have, you know, they just love and respect magical bards, and that's great. But there are other towns that are might have, uh, you know, a less bad, charitable opinions. Yeah, you know, somebody of capital of, B bards. Well, you know, somebody of influence could have definitely had a very bad experience. Uh, I mean, we've all seen the movie Footloose, or at least heard of it. And guess what? There's a priest who doesn't believe in dancing, and he thinks dancing is bad. Guess what Kevin Bacon is? He's a dancing bard, baby. And guess what? This town don't believe in dancing. He's got to come in there and change opinions about dancing. Point is. With dominate person. <laughs> with dominate person. And Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon sex appeal. But the whole point is, he ultimately has to change a perspective because other people had made dancing seem like a bad thing. And if we delineate that to other stories, you can definitely see how a bard, you know, bard did a robbery. Bard did insert insert shady thing here that Bard did because he is a smooth talking motherfucker who tends to be less on the lawful side. Exactly. Um, You know, there is, you know, so reminding your players and reinforcing your players that there is ultimately, um, you know, there are a lot of other Bards out there, some good, some bad, and not everybody is going to like you simply because you're a charming motherfucker that might turn them off. 
and having that negative stereotype to some people because for some people that's a great stereotype other people that's very negative is going to be a very important thing to remind your players so moving on with bard uh there is a there's a couple of fun little questions you can definitely ask your players um and i think it's very important to how a bard actually functions because as we were discussing on the ride here a uh, very interesting thing about bard is is they actually are the most adventurous of any other class in the game i know that seems a little out there but hear me out um warlock fighter uh so warlock paladin every other class uh cleric most other classes with kind of an assigned thing, they have a mission. Yeah. Fighter, rogue, they're very open. Monk can kind of be off doing its own thing. Druid is very restrictive in the fact that it has to deal with its woods. Creatures and, of the forest. Yep. Uh, wizards, we're going to talk about wizards and sorcerers in a second about why they might not really want to be adventurers. Uh, but a bard, guess what? A bard goes on a sweet adventure. And they get a book deal. They get a book deal. They get a press tour after this. All right. The fighter is going, well, money, loot, power. All right, it's time for me to go get drunk for two years in a row. Yeah, rogue, money, loot, power. Paladin. Paladin. Justice. You know, paladin. Justice. Um, When it gets to the bard's turn of the table, he goes, book deal, motherfucker. (laughs) Press tour. You know, he gets to wander around the country. He gets to sell this to people. The bard has the easiest write-inable excuse to go on any adventure. And often, you know, telling your bard, uh, you know, like finding out what they want to do with their aspirations, what are their aspirations, uh, them going on an adventure is pretty easy. But then also ask them some hard questions about what they as a artist want to accomplish. This is yeah, – If they're a bard, they're an artist of some sort. You can't just say, um, I'm a bard who doesn't believe in art because if – what are you then? You're not anything. Bards are ultimately they are musicians, acrobats, actors, speakers, long form storytellers, painters, and any form of artist. One thing I do love about Bard is anytime somebody twists that little trope of a bard just being a musician and kind of changes it to another form of art. Like I did read a great story about a uh, bard who was a painter, you know, and basically Bob Ross that shit in combat. Awesome. Thank you for welcoming me into your home today. This is a home invasion. <laughs> That's what most Dungeons and Dragons adventures boil down to is home invasion. I'm gonna put I'm a. Just I'm just gonna paint a nice phalo blue, <laughs> and you are now under my throne. Fantastic. Uh, but ask them their artistic ambitions because what, what, what movement are they part of? What do they think of these other movements? Uh, what do they think of this tawdry display? What do they think of this? This setup, you know, yeah. If you want to actually, that's a very good point. If you want to go like Renaissance with it, um, and the you know when things were as far as art was a much more philosophical and theological even debate at times, uh, that's really fascinating. But at the same time, if you want to keep it very modern, uh, you can go. How do you feel about Taylor Swift? You know, uh, what is, what exactly what do you are think you of feeling? the Lepidarian movement? Yeah, how do you feel about Eminem? <laughs> do you think he's a hack? How do you feel about – You're going to get in a fist fight with this artist over drinks in a bar because you think he's a complete hack and everything he's done is stolen. How do you feel about death metal? You know, um, (laughs) these are – but no, these are legitimate artistic questions you can ask. And actually one of my favorite questions to ask a bard player after I initially shit my pants over somebody competent playing bard is, okay, well, artistically, what do they hope to accomplish? Are they trying to make the next big thing? Are they trying to get a big hit? Are they trying to express the truest form of their soul? Or are they trying to, you know, make genre fiction? (laughs) Um, It's, you know, it's all under the realm of pure view. Uh, So a couple of things uh, to finish up with Bard before we move on to Sorcerer. so How if, pretentious do you want their art to be? No, okay, I'm done. No, no. <laughs> uh, it's completely incomprehensible. It's a book written only in, in a different character in a different language. I sell 25 by 25 inch screens covered in goblin blood that I place behind them and then I cut them. Creepy. Um, no, but a couple of things I want to cover. So the different colleges highly influence what a bard is capable of. Um, so Valar and Lore are kind of – Valor and, lore, Valor and lore of what we've been describing this whole time, uh, glamour, swords, and whispers. whispers are vastly different and can 
cover a vastly different territory, and we're going to sprint through those really quick. Glamour is definitely more Feywild, just like they're dangerous, but they're not dangerous in the sense that Whisper Bards are dangerous. So they're going to be side eyed, but they're not going to get run out of town on a rail like a College of Whispers Bard would if they exposed their college. Yeah, uh, Glamour focuses primarily on awe. Yeah, the idea of shock and awe, beautiful displays, and then kind of living off that energy, you know, kind of living off that hype. Um, College of Swords is I, – I, I don't want to be a bird. I want to be a swordsman. Now, actually, I what I do want to say about College of Swords because uh means a lot to me. might not mean a lot to, you know, a lot of other D&D players, but for me – what I do love about College of Swords Bard is it gives you uh if you're a big Final Fantasy fan, it gives you your red mage. It does. That that is exactly to a T what College of Swords Bard ends yeah. up becoming. It is they are not as good as a wizard, but they are not as good as a combat master or a battle master fighter, but they ultimately land right in between, and that is just perfect. And guess what? They're gonna have a higher charisma score than both, so they're still gonna be the one to talk to the noble dick. Um <laughs> So, final thoughts uh, on Bard as far as character creation goes. Uh, remind them that they can be something other than I roll to seduce. It's a very interesting class that's hampered somewhat by the Bards meme. can be spies, politicians, lawyers, any major uh, governmental figures, town criers, uh, celebrities. Yeah, there is, you know, just more than, you know, being the guy who walks around and tries to fuck everything that has a guitar. You know, that that trope is old and it's boring. And it's, you know, every time I have a bard player, I'm I guess I'm jaded now to the point that every time I have a bard go and I roll to seduce the pretty lady at the bard. And that's all I'm going to try to do tonight. It's like. It's it's disappointing. Try to impress on them the fact that the you bard. You are my brother, Anakin. Yeah. The bard, I loved you. The bard can do so much. The bard can do so much. And it's so upsetting that it gets relegated to that role often, kind of just due to the memes. Um, ultimately, though, encourage uh, an exploration of background and artistry. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, if you've ever taken anybody who's not into art to an, a good art museum, you usually have great conversation and their eyes are kind of open to a new world. So, you know, do a little bit of research into music and art history yourself and, um, you know, and story, various stories, histories and plays and whatnot. And, you know, present them with some shit. See if you can change opinion and get them to just be something more than what is equivalently a frat boy with an acoustic guitar. <laughs> Playing Wonderwall. Paul, the final thoughts. On Bard. It's good. I like it. Uh, you should still carefully watch anyone who picks it, though, because chances are good they either don't know what they're doing or they do know what you're doing and you'll need to watch them twice as much. Yeah, they – that I guess that is one bit we kind of didn't cover really hard, but I just want to re-impress – or uh, put that fact back out there for fairly new DMs. A experienced player with a Bard <laughs> – is going to be a nightmare for your setting because they are going to be able to accomplish a lot. Um, don't say no. Let them. I mean, obviously, just also, watch them. Very I wouldn't say just watch them. It's well, this is this is kind of one of the hard parts about DMing because having a bard come in and just kind of derail everything you got going can really suck. And I've seen a lot of forum posts and arguments about, well, the bard did this, and now we're screwed. Um, you know, my game's all messed up. I've got, I've, I've been Hendersoned. Um, 0.25. Anyway. Yeah. But the, you know, when things like that happen, you need to try to just practice and learn to roll with those punches and find some realistic things to consequences. do. Yeah. Realistic consequences to that bard's actions and, you know, put. You know, try to find a way to put them in a position that is actually still bad, even though they've pulled off all aces. If that makes sense, not in a not in a negative way, but in a way that ultimately, um, you know, if they did something that was maybe a little sour to put them in a position, maybe the power isn't exactly what they wanted. Maybe suddenly, you know, I'm, this is a big With great example. power comes great responsibility. Well, goddamn, I was about to use that for sorcerer. Um, but in a big example, you know, if they suddenly uh, have seduced their way to the top of the ladder or now in charge of a city, guess what? 
Well, at first they thought it was just going to be drinking and eating and, you know, farting around. And now suddenly the – Ten hours of paperwork. Yeah, suddenly, yeah, paperwork is a, a problem. That's – but that's its own yeah, own little thing. Um, Bard. Bard is good. Give Bard love. Please don't make Bard the – Only love. You know, only love. Like let Bard be Bard. <sighs> Moving on. Sorcerers. Paul, we got limited time on sorcerers. I'm cutting sorcerers so we can uh, do wizard at full, <laughs> which is uh, sorry, sorcerer fans. It's okay. Nobody loves sorcerer anyway. Okay. No, I actually do love sorcerer. It's a shame what well, – we'll get to that in a second. All right. So the sorcerer, the bard's best friend in debauchery, um, they are hands down – uh, you know, aside from the bard, obviously they are the most shenanigan induced character. I, at least for me, I usually feel that because uh, a very common trope that gets played by players. Uh, and not saying anything bad about it, but the bard and the sorcerer are usually a very sexy, uh, party going bohemian style. Uh, you know, just open, crazy animal individual of a character. Yeah, and. Those characters, because they've got high charisma as a major stat, and they've the got paladin high... doesn't get away with being a party animal for obvious. And reasons. the warlock is too busy being creepy, so crawling in my skin. Okay, calm down. Um, so let's get over some interesting facts about the sorcerer. They are the eleventh least played class, eleventh uh, most played class. Yeah, they're they're not popular. Um. There's a couple reasons for this is they were introduced in third edition as a sort of alternate way of spell casting to wizards. Uh, doesn't help that they kind of got horribly – they got their knees broken in third edition and they haven't really curved from that since. The problem is that now, now everyone casts spells like sorcerers did. So now sorcerers are just hindered without any real benefit. So from a mechanical standpoint, it's not surprising that they're one of the least played classes. Yes. Uh, most popular races for Sorcerer in the 5th edition, according to the 538 data we have, is Human, Half-Elf, Tiefling, Dragonborn, and Elf. Dragonborn. That's an interesting choice. Well, they do have charisma. The strength bonus is uh, – I mean, I guess you don't want to dump strength. Um, and they do get to breathe fire out of their mouths, which is useful. neat. I wonder if it synergizes with the dragon draconic uh, – Background synergy water. I mean, it would make a lot of sense too, lore wise. So, sorcerer, because we spent a lot of time and love on bard today. So we're gonna we're gonna make this quick and we're gonna make this smooth. Session zero. You have somebody who wants to play a sorcerer. Very first question. You know, when you figure out what uh, origin they're gonna take, is how far back is this origin in your bloodline? Yeah. Do you know where do these powers come from? And a comparison that I really like to – I think it's a very favorable comparison for Sorcerer and what makes Sorcerer unique to the other 11 classes presented in the game is the fact that they are the one with a superhero origin. And Some way to put it. Well, what I mean by that is uh, you know, the fighter didn't come out of the womb with a battle axe in hand just like, y'all ready for this? No. The, uh, you know, the rogue didn't show up you know, one day – as, as a surprise with neither of his parents knowing that he arrived. Yeah, exactly. And was just like, hello, I'm a thief. Now, Sorcerer is the only class that has their powers, theoretically at least, from birth. They can get they can get it later. They grow into it. Or maybe a crazy experiment or accident happens. It's the spontaneous cast or poster child. But they – yes, they spontaneously – one day they didn't have powers. The next day they do. And they – Barely understand these powers and it's – I mean there is so much – if you have a player who is struggling with how to write a backstory for their sorcerer, just <laughs> don't be a jerk about it. But just send them Marvel Comics and DC Comic Wikipedias and just tell them just find something that Pick works. One. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be Superman, you know, born with powers and sent away. Um, you could be like Doctor Strange was in a terrible accident uh, and then went and met with a bunch of people who taught him how to tap into sorcery. That's more of a monk thing, honestly. Well, it's more yeah. of a monk thing, but I do like I, – I think there is a little bit of synergy there that can actually work pretty well. And if you do want sorcery to be a learned thing, the Doctor Strange route's the way to go. Um, yeah, we're going to talk a bit more in the uh, wizard section about magic as a whole in session zero. 
Yeah. But, but we probably should have talked about that even earlier in this episode. Yeah, we'll but I, I think it's going to be a nice, nice little cap note. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm going to debate on this. There, at, once you've decided your origin, like where your sorcerer's origin comes from, there's just not that much to talk about for sorcerer because usually they're not trained. So you don't have the usual one of who trained them how to do this stuff because the answer is I did myself. The only real thing you could ask is how does this link in with the background that you picked? Yes. How has it affected their life? And that is actually where you can get some uh, some good world building out of a player uh, that you didn't want to have to do yourself. Uh, two examples of this. Say they chose the criminal background. All right. You know, fairly. It's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, let's say for however this baby came into possession of a crime lord by the name of Carlito Lafonzi. I'm keeping the baby for myself. Mm, how you doing? Uh, Mr. Lafonzi now has this sorcerer baby and is training the sorcerer baby to do bad things for him. Pretty pockets with magic or something like that. You know, I mean, hey, mage hand, just being able to mage hand a bag of coin from uh, somebody working a stall who's not paying attention. Useful. Adds up. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, let's say we got folk hero sorcerer. Um, this is a kid who grew up in a town who has sorcerer powers, and this kid is beloved by his local community because he's so useful. He's yeah, he can cast mending. I mean, what else do you need other than mending? Mending. The blacksmith just died, but guess what? You now have a five-year-old who can cast mending who does everything the blacksmith did in less than six seconds. Uh, you know, that kid is suddenly a treasure to that town. Yeah. I I mean, all the press, all of the different uh, cantrips have their uses that would make uh, anybody who could do them quite useful in any setting in which magic is not incredibly prevalent. Like, off the top of my head... You've got, well, prestidigitation, obviously, mage hand, mending, message, if you want to send a message quietly. You've got dancing lights and light itself. And the, even the more destructive ones like shocking grasp and firebolt and acid splash can do things like, you know, light fires or jolt somebody awake or melt something that's being a problem. Yeah, acid splash is the best demolition work you're ever going to get. You could pay at a crew of five people with sledgehammers or... You could hire that six-year-old who could make acid appear out of his mouth. You know, for an hour, maybe. <laughs> Not even. <laughs> the house is melted. Um, <laughs> the other option, like the third option at least, um, and if, you know, your players have other ideas, again, these are all opinions and not guidelines. Just, you know, hey, think about us when you when you got some stuff going. But uh, my third option to, to really consider for – you know, kind of a backstory, and this falls in line with that superhero kind of a thing that I've got going, is at any point where they take in a way to train, at any point where they scooped up by people, uh, you know, and taken to a place, uh, very convenient that the Umbrella Academy came out on Netflix recently, because this is kind of, kind of relates to that, where seven babies were picked up taken to a eccentric billionaire's home and trained how to be superheroes because they had superpowers. Reference Hogwarts, actually. but mm. uh, Hogwarts is a very good res- reference for sorcerers, too. Um, Not so much for wizards, honestly, but we'll Well, well there's there's parts of Hogwarts that make sense, but there's also parts. But we're going to we'll cover Hogwarts in a minute here. Um, but the whole idea that somebody might come along and see a sorcerer's potential and the ability for them to potentially become a shitty person because they have a lot of power very young. And little responsibility. They have very little responsibility. They have a lot of very wieldable power and they have a lot of people that are either going to depend on them or put a lot of dependability on them and also going to rely on that power. Um, back to our two references. If you have Ma and Pa Kent back in here in uh, Folk Hero City, then, you know. They're going to teach this kid decently well about Going to teach him right and wrong and how he needs to use his powers to help. Meanwhile, if you've got this villainous little shit that's being raised by Carlito Lafonzi, then guess what? This kid is going to learn how to wield his power. He's going to respect probably Carlito but and maybe one or two underbosses, but not many other people because guess what? He knows what he is and he knows how powerful he is and he knows how scary he is. There is a lot of story stuff that you can develop and with a very good conversation with a player about what their upbringing was can really impact the way a player is going to shape this character. Um, 
Now, when it comes to the rest of Sorcerer, we still have a lot of the general questions. Uh, you know, how prevalent is magic in your setting? Um, how do people feel about sorcerers? Do people confuse wizard and sorcerers? Do they think all sorcerers are wizards uh, and they're just like, oh, I don't see a spell book, but you're doing magic, so okay. Or is it a known distinction? Is Or is it even more, do they consider it to be sort of the same thing but two different practitioners of the same way? Is it like uh, for an example of rap versus poetry? I mean, they're both pretty similar, honestly. But are they the same? Are they different? Um, is there a when it comes to your sorcerer and how the world has affected them? And this actually, this one really comes with the storm magic and the wild magic, but especially wild magic, um, where you can have super beneficial effects like uh, everybody within ten feet of you, your party, is resistant to all damage for thirty seconds. That's good. Everybody within 30 feet of you is now vulnerable to piercing damage for the next minute. That's bad. The fighter is going to be very upset about you. Um, well, assuming he makes it out of his new occupation as the human pincushion anyway. Yeah. Um, is the opinions on your magic both by people who are smart enough and people dumb enough um, or, you know, mentally not there to understand what's happening with that character? Not learned enough. Yeah, not not knowledgeable is the way I was trying to say that in a very clumsy assholeish fashion. How do they feel about what your sorcerer does and do they understand it? Are they afraid of it? Do they get it? Do they like it? Do they hate it? Things yeah. to really keep in mind with a sorcerer who is oftentimes a very loud ostentations ostentatious character. So one last thing I wanted to say about sorcerer before I moved on is what brings them out here to adventure? What, what's their call to adventure? Because if they're a full care in their town, why are they leaving? If they're a criminal in a city, why are they leaving? Yeah. Do they not have it good enough where they are? Or is the call to adventure just in their blood? Um, you know, there is uh, – I mean as much as I hate to say it and as much as I'm – you know, I wouldn't say I'm anti the – anti the standard uh, tragic backstory for an adventurer – um, I do think the Spider-Man Uncle Ben moment moment definitely like ticks every box for me. If you have a good aligned party that's going out there, otherwise, I mean, everybody can find their own motivations in anything. But the that whole ideal of using a gift and where a cleric still had to work for it somewhat, a wizard has to work for it. A bard had to work for it. Every other cast and a warlock had to make a deal for it. Everybody had to do something big to get these powers. The idea of a sorcerer is that this is somebody who just was got it. They, got they, they just got power. lucky. They won the lottery. They got bitten by that radioactive spider. And so, you know, that old message of with great power comes great responsibility is, you know, a way to influence a good character. But there are other ways that can be taken. I mean, after all, I'm. There's an anti or there's a universe where Uncle Ben never gave that bit of advice to Peter Parker and he became a dick. You know, just a, Are you implying that he isn't already. We're going to fight in the parking lot. Um, final thoughts on Sorcerer. I mean, honestly, I'm sort of wondering why this class continues to exist with the uprising of Warlock and the changing of uh, power, uh, the changing of how spellcasting works to – no longer differentiate uh, wizards and warlocks. I mean, I, I suppose spontaneous casting has its uses, but I feel like that's something that could have just been rolled into wizard. I think it could have, but I'm, I'm my only counterpoint to that is again, I think there is there's a very different thematic feel when you have a wizard who is somebody, as we're about to talk about, somebody who's very learned versus somebody who is uh, what is it called? Winging it. Um, no, there's a trope for it. Uh, that, that's a delightful anime name it's the uh, the very inexperienced pilot in the new prototype it's it's something to that effect uh think uh falling into the cockpit i think yeah something like that where basically somebody who has no idea what they're doing suddenly has all of the power of their universe at their fingertips and they just gotta learn how to get there um and there is a lot of fun storytelling that be, can you know be done with you know the sorcerer shoots a firebolt how'd you do that I don't know. Um, there's a lot of great stuff with Sorcerer as far as like a storytelling ability. And then again, I think there's a lot of uh, 
just a lot of fun that can be had with Sorcerer. And also, I mean, I'm biased because I do love charisma-fueled classes, my top three favorite classes. Two of them are charisma-fueled. Um, but, and my top six, all four are there. So when it comes to, you know, the Sorcerer, I think the Sorcerer definitely has a place in terms of storytelling and how it's different. I, I just don't have as much of a storytelling need, I suppose, for a Sorcerer. I just don't think it's... um. For me, at least, it feels somewhat redundant. Hmm. Agree to disagree. On to our last topic for the day. The last one. The one you've been waiting for. The Big Daddy. We're not going to fight over this one, so we're going to keep the soapbox into a minimum. Yep. It's the wizard. Three out of 12. Uh, he is the third most played class behind fighter and rogue, according to the data from 538. Which is unsurprising, given that he forms part of the quadrangle. The Holy Trinity. Elf is your most played wizard, followed by human, followed by gnomes. And everybody else does not really matter. All right. Which so, is surprising again. Why elf, I wonder? Do elves even have an intelligence bonus? I believe they do. And also I think there's just – I think it's a combination of uh, that built-in piousness, hoity-toity, you know. Up, Snootiness, st- you mean. Stiff upper lip. I know. I'm just going to look that up real quick with yes. the intelligence bonus, but go on. So with wizards – Obviously, we just covered the I randomly have magic abilities. This is the learned magic abilities. High elves have intelligence bonus. Yeah. Uh, I was 85% sure Um, because no one ever plays elves in my game anymore. They all play half elves. Funny. Um, With a wizard and somebody who wants to play a wizard, there is a decent amount of talking to to do. Congratulations. That's what this series has been about. Um, We're probably going to spend more time talking about this one than we did about bards. Which is surprising because we had a lot to say about bards. So wizard. No, we got to try to keep it short though because we got to wrap up here in about Eesh. 19 minutes. So. All right. Well. Booyah. Let's start out from the top. We already know what wizards are and what they do. They are learned magicians. They are people who have learned the arts of the arcana and the infinite cosmos of the universe through the ability of speaking with scrolls and ruins and various other artifacts. They control the mass. Like the vast arcanum They've with bullshit. They have all the pleasures of the flesh in order to become a wizard. That's that's a very harsh way to put it. Ultimately, what they – Are you telling me I'm wrong? You're not wrong. But what they've ultimately done is they are hardcore researchers who have figured out how to use a innate force in the universe to shape the world if, around them. If bards are – if capital B bards are you know, the top level of performers, capital W wizards or just wizards because there's no like minor wizards – are the world's top academics. Yes. They and learn their powers by learning. So um, unless you have a very cool idea, and if you do have a very cool idea for by a By all setting, means, <laughs> negate us. Please, no, yeah, please, negate us and tell us about your idea. Find us at, uh, you know, you know, like what's going on here. Find us at facebook.com, 3D slash 3DMs. Uh, you know, comment our videos. Please, uh, we show up bi-weekly to rant about D&D. Um, you know, comment on our videos, talk to us, find us on Twitter at 3DMs pod and talk more about the show with us. And we'd love to hear from you. We love talking to you. Uh, you got better ideas. Please put us in our places because we love that shit. But when it comes to your wizard and we're going to presume we're just going to go with the fact that there is a school of learning for your wizard, for your magic user. And I'm we're, we're going to differ. He tends to do with one major school and I tend to do with minor schooling, but Generally, wizards tend to clump together because they're academics. Yes. Um, so I mean, you can, of course, do the thing of a wizard in his tower with one apprentice, which isn't entirely unusual. But we're going to talk about wizards clumping together. Yes. Um, so because, I mean, as a group and as a collective, they wield incredible power because they're fucking wizards. Um, they're like there's just no simple way around that. Um, if a body of wizards clumps together and you know because again they are academics and what do academics like to do compare notes and prove each other wrong and what is going to happen argue yeah and argue and try to prove what is the best school in theory of how to advance a certain idea for whatever academia they are trying to push well then guess what they're all going to form together now the only thing that is different than a college of law or a college of art or a college of architecture is that these people can use the forces of the universe to shape reality reality and that is 
damn terrifying. And there are going to be a lot of things that are built into that. The first thing that is going to come with being part of a esteemed college of mages is going to be status. Well, maybe. that is, well, It depends on magic. It, well, no, I think there is definitely something to be said. I mean, a very common thing that we get from uh, both Dragonlance, Terry Pratchett, uh, a, lot, a lot of people use the robe system. You know, wizards' robes are a big deal. I mean, you know, Harry Potter, it's it's part of his shopping list in the first thing. Hey, you got to get you some robes, boy. What do you mean I can't go I to- want a man of a stature has to wear a dress. I, I can't, I can't, I can't go to class in blue jeans? Hell nah. Got to get you a robe, boy. Um, the the idea though is that wizards are recognizable by a wizard's robe. It's it, it's a trope. It's a known thing. It's something that's almost in every game. Something to look at as if uh, if you're interested in subverting that. Ars Magica is a game about playing uh, wizards in medieval Europe. And they specifically have, go out in robes to make people recognize them as wizards. So when they don't want to be recognized, they can go without robes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that robe carries power. And by power, I mean status. People are going to recognize them as a wizard. A learned individual. And depending on how magic is in your setting, if we hit that high fantasy, low fantasy slider on the setting – it's either it's going to have a very similar effect. Either there is going to be massive fear in a very low magic setting where people have maybe heard of these things or maybe they don't even know what's going on. Um, you know, so maybe it won't be fear. Maybe it'll be confusion. Why this pointy hat having robe wearing gray beard having long hair having do oh, yeah. is nothing. If you reach high levels of wizard, you're required to grow a beard. Well, it's got to be at least down to your waist. Male or female doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's got to be white. But you're going to see that person, and so low fantasy, you know, who that? On high fantasy, oh, yes, another wizard. Um, there is going to be, you know, but I think most games obviously fall somewhere in the middle, uh, in between those two polarizing extremes. The wizards are known, but not necessarily super common. Yes. And so with wizards, what you, you know, what you, what you want to impact on a player is is that if they are playing a wizard, even a low level wizard, a third level wizard, for example, um, they are going to have a certain amount of clout. They're going to have a certain amount of influence simply because of who they are, what they know, what they can do, and where they have been to schooling. Um, Cameras suffering some issues. Anyway. Two seconds. Furthermore, though. Yeah, we're good. All right. Furthermore, when it comes to the idea of a wizard, you know, and their status, you need to let a player know that they have those options available to them to kind of throw that wizardy weight around. I'm a wizard. You should listen to me because I am a land man or woman and a scholar. Um, the next thing we want to talk also, about. I can fry you with my mind. Yeah. Next thing to talk about, something definitely, obviously, to impart on a player is what school slash schools are there or exist. Um, in my setting, I got I got all my mages. They go to one college. I mean, sure, there's satellite locations around the continent where they can either report um, to do more learning or train under somebody specific or, you know, get better at certain things. But for the most part, all of the learning is done in the capital. With Paul, there are different schools. Both are fun, good ways. Like I'm jealous. Lots of schools scattered around different nations and continents. Yeah, you know, and both are very fun ways to do the trope. Um, but what you just need to consider is again training of wizards. How do you train wizards? How do you train wizards? And it also relates back to the last statement about clout. You know, how are these schools treated? Um, are they paid for by the government? Are they paid for by locals? Is a, there an entrance fee? Is this a private institution? You know, do, can rich families send their dumbass kids off to try to learn wizardry or is even there, if they fail, they still get a good education. Yeah. It, you know, is there a, uh, is there a minimum of acceptance to even get into is this there school? An entrance exam? Yeah. Um, uh, even aside all this, let's let's take a, a, a moment here to stop and talk briefly. Is we we tend to split up. This is going to sound weird again that we just talked about schools. So let's talk about the other schools that we use with magic. So, uh, how much of this magical theory with you know evocation and enchantment abjuration conjuration so, so on and so forth how well known is that like is it all classified under magic is that is 
purely an academic thing or is there actual physical differences between the different ways these spells are cast? Yeah. Have a conversation both with your players about how those differences in magics would work, but also in how everything is perceived. Is there, you know, a common understanding of, um, you know, could your average Joe Blow on the street have a no a difference between evocation and abjuration spell? For or example? is that guy just like, that's magic. That's scary. I don't like that. Um, but also when it comes to the schools of magic, too, and another fun little bit of role playing that you can imply to a wizard, because, again, both Paul and I very uh, we agree pretty firmly on the idea that wizards are academics. They're the only intelligence fueled class in the game, meaning intelligence is their primary statistic. And there isn't another class other than artificer, which is still technically uh, on Earth Arcana on Earth Arcana. Um, yeah, they're the only official class that's fueled by intelligence, so it makes sense that they would be very scholarly. Um, also, know, almost all their skills are, you know, scholarly skills. Yes, um, but talking to your players about how do they feel, how do you know, you have to choose a school of magic that you specialize in, air quotations, and you know how do how does a divination wizard feel about a uh, an evocation mage? Yeah, is there like is there interdepartmental politics? Is there academic? poo-pooing about uh, different schools of magic specifically because they're more or less rigorous and pure. Yeah. Think like the debates between the different sciences and the humanities and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, you know, because a divination mage might poo-poo on a evocation mage, but simultaneously the evocation mage is the one who knows how to blow you up. Literally. So, you know, thinking, you know, just give personality to your little subsections of school. And that can influence player agency like, oh, yeah, you're part of uh, – you do illusions. Well, you and the evocation people don't get along that well. You and the enchantment people, you're both trying to get that department merged into your department. Nobody likes necromancy. Um, I wish we had more time to go into the necromancy debate today. We don't, I'm afraid. That's, that's going to be another episode and there will be a necromancy episode, I suppose. Um, so other things to consider. Military application. Are wizards howitzers or can you use them even more efficiently than that? Yeah. Do wizards uh, get drafted into the military? Are are there uh, parts of like certain wizards who can voluntarily join and serve the military? It depends on how prevalent uh, war is, which goes from always happening to no, for real, though, it's always happening. Um, you know, just the extreme slider of how big the war is always happening. Because guess what? There's always going to be conflict somewhere. Otherwise, you wouldn't be running a game. With Otherwise, you're not running a game. Um, but, you know, f- try to think of how the military thinks of wizards and, again, their relationship with the military. And, you know, soldier background wizards are actually a lot of fun. Like a rank having wizards. You can think, uh, what is it? Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist is a very good example of having soldier background but still playing a wizard. Got to do a lot of book- soldiers. Yep. Got to do a lot of book learning and they're definitely a part of a military force. Um Let's see. The next bit I also think very, very important to impress upon a player is why are they adventuring? And this is – Why have they left their nice, comfy life in school to go risk their lives in some damp, damp, musty dungeon? The idea of academic pursuits versus an adventuring lifestyle is, again, it's it's a pretty extreme justification. Um, As we joked earlier about the bard – you know, he's in it because ultimately not only is he going to profit, but he is going to be the person who told the story first. And he's going to get the book deal. And he's going to get that book deal. Um, the fighter is going to get paid. Rogue is going to get paid. And the wizard might gain some um, far forgotten lore. But that's that's being hopeful. I mean, wizards already make a very good living simply by being fucking wizards. I mean, yeah, even a, a first level wizard can cast a handful of spells that will set them up for life in a standard living situation they yeah they they can <laughs> you want to if you wanted to play D as just like a life simulator then yeah you play a wizard you take mending and then you hang out in a village and occasionally you repel goblins but for the most part you, you fix stuff you fix stuff and you solve local problems um it's you know you need to talk to them and just try to have your player actually figure out why are they going on an adventure 
Are, uh, is it because all the tenure positions are filled? So it's either laboring as an assistant professor or going out and making a name for yourself and ousting that bastard Grimlock from the top ranks? Yeah. Or is it, you know, is it something they want to prove to themselves? They, you know. Or is it a punishment and they need to get out and find the lost scrolls of Mistara or something? Yeah. Are they, yeah, are they being forced by a superior to go out and have to try to do something um, as a punishment or even as like, a, okay, well, if I do this, I get this tenured position. Um, just certain ways to think about why a wizard would want to be on an adventure. And I guess we, you know, we kind of covered that with a lot of the other classes, but I think that'd be something that's fun to dive deeper into is motivation. Um, last couple of things, and we're going to wrap up with some final thoughts here. Um, a, a thing I also like to impart on my players uh, and definitely something that should come up in an initial conversation when talking about a wizard is how how many wizards have gone bad in your setting? Because this is something it's that – It's so easy to go mad with power and wizards already have no sense of right and wrong. Yeah. Wizards often have you know that combination of um, academic interest, uh, being the smartest guy in the room – Usually recognizing when something is wrong before everybody else does, usually having a solution before everybody else does, and the ability to shape the forces of the universe in any way they want. All they need is enough people to think they're correct, and congratulations, you have somebody overthrowing a government. It It's a pretty short and easy process. That's not even that hard. Yeah, especially for them once they get to you know enough power level. So um, – Try to come up with a couple of examples of maybe wizards who failed because – and this is purely anecdotal. I have no data to back this up. But for me, most of the time, my wizards, when they get to a certain level, uh, like a certain in-game level, like I, I like to call it about level seven, the wizard realizes that he doesn't need the fighter anymore and that he can go into business for himself or herself because they are going to be the captain now. They are the one capable of doing the most. They are the scariest person in the room. And that can be bad. So just a gentle reminder that there are checks and balances. You are not the first wizard to have thought of this. Yeah. Um, which is the next part uh, that I also want to impress. Is there a checks and balance system in your setting? And by that, I mean, is there a force of people? We're going to use Dragon Age as a very quick example because many people are very familiar with it and it has a very uh, – overtone heavy use of what we're about to discuss, which Paul can tear apart briefly, I hope. Uh, but you have the Templars and the mages, the mages who, you know, sit there and learn and do everything we're discussing. And the Templars, the soldiers who watch them and monitor them. And we'll beat the crap out of them if they do something wrong. It's used as a heavy handed racism metaphor, except it kind of falls through because people of color can't have demons burst out of their heads and try to kill everybody in the room. Yeah, the big problem with the Dragon Age mages is that, yeah, if anything bad does happen, you kind of do need a fallback, but they always make the Templars look like shit. But that being said, though, if there you do have in your setting um, like something from Harry Potter that's actually a, a kind of a fun concept to toy with, I don't use it in my setting, but I've definitely thought about it, is, you know, what if there was some way of tracking every spell that was cast and when and where? Um, they do that in, you know, they do that in Harry Potter. In Harry Potter 2, he gets yelled at. Uh, because he blows up his aunt, which actually, holy shit, how is that? How does Harry not just reek of PTSD as a 18 year old? He does. He dies. Well, and then he comes back. Christ figure. Moving on. Um, how, yeah. The idea, though, of a system where th- people can track what wizards are doing, monitor the wizards, and then, you know, kick down the door, like, you know, hey, you're doing. This is illegal magic. Yeah. You don't have a permit for this. Yeah. Why are you doing necromancy? Necromancy is illegal here. You shouldn't be casting it and doing it, whatever. Stop right there, criminal scum. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> banging on the door. Open up the door, motherfucker. Uh, you know, think about that and let your player know of any ramifications of bad things they can be doing as a wizard because they would they'll, rather. They'll probably try to get away with it. They'll either. Well. They'll be smarter about getting away with it. They won't realize that uh, what they're doing is wrong. (sighs) Lastly. Material components. 
I don't know why these are still in this game. It's it seems like a sacred cow that got left in because people would get upset if they got taken out. I don't uh, see a point for them being here except some, for the expensive ones. Hey, some people love them. Uh, some people hate them. I prefer to save time and just assume that my players have the ones, except for again the very expensive or crazy hard to get ones. Because th- those actually have a gameplay point, but I don't understand why you need a pinch of bat guano for every fireball. Burns well. Um, it just seems like. <sighs> Pointless, busy work to me. All right. We got to do some final thoughts, and then we're going to announce what we're doing here soon. Wizards are interesting because I feel like the people who play them uh, are looking to just be better than the other players most time if they're at all experienced. But the problem is, is that if they're not experienced enough to understand how to play a wizard, they're going to have a really bad time because wizard is a very feast or famine class and it's difficult sometimes to properly play a wizard because of the problems inherent with being uh, an academic with the power to reshape reality. Yes. Um, Final thought on wizard is again, obviously it's the most powerful class in the game simply for what it's capable of. A well-played wizard is a just, a hard thing to deal with as a DM, but I think you can definitely add a lot more to, um, I think a lot of people want to be Gandalf, but they want to start off as Gandalf. And I think using a lot of what we presented here can definitely make, um, a more lived in breathing conscious character. My, my favorite character that I've ever had in my campaign setting was a wizard. It would be Keeland. Um, you know, just accidentally failing up the ladder. Um, but, you know, the idea that a wizard uh, just, you know, is kind of a stick in the mud. You can give them so much more agency and, like, really just so much more vitality. Vitality. And again, a three dimensional, easier to fit into your world uh, and bridge that understanding between player and DM of how things work in your setting and what they are trying to accomplish by presenting them their options. So, this has been our session zero series. Uh, I've had a lot of fun doing these. That's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, these are these are a lot of fun to talk about. Um, next week we are going to, and I wanted to get the sound ready before, but I couldn't find it in any of the libraries here, which I'm really upset because we got very robust libraries here at Podcast Detroit for sound effects. Uh, we're going to talk about Law and Order. Um, we're going to talk about criminal organizations and the law organizations that try to hunt them down. Um, so we're going to talk about that in two weeks' time when we see you guys. Thanks, everybody who tunes in and watches. If you enjoyed the show, you can find us anywhere where you can find a podcast, SoundCloud. Find us on SoundCloud. Find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, anywhere you pick up your podcasting needs, we are there. Uh, find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, 3DMs Podcast. Spelled the old-fashioned way, T-H-R-E-E. And, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear and because we love hearing from you guys and we love hearing what you want us to do next. But from there, we are going to wrap up today's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And this has been the 3DMs Podcast. Let us know if any of this stuff works for you. We love you. Have a good week. Bye-bye.